0: Understanding how we bring people back with emotional or psychological circumstances should be treated in a similar way as those with a physical uh, limitation would be, and that is about finding the right role in the right place. So I think our challenge is is to actually be able to accommodate nuance and difference.
1: During COVID-19, many of us started working from home and the idea of returning to a workplace brings up a range of emotions. For some, it's relief to be getting out of tracksuits, while for others, it's completely anxiety-inducing. My name is Anna McAfee, and in this, our final episode of Managing Minds, we're going to look at returning to work. Obviously, the experience of returning to work after having time off for mental health is different, to returning to work after COVID. But the analogy does give you a small insight into how challenging this can be if it's not done well. We spoke to Claire Babbage in episode three. Claire has worked in the corporate sector and in social and corrective services. I asked her what organizations most often fail to do in supporting someone in their return to
2: work. The first thing I think they do is they forget about it until the last minute. The other thing that I think organisations don't do is if they have a policy, they don't make sure that when managers come in or when people step up into people leadership positions, that they are really aware of those processes. It's almost part of a people leader training that sort of doesn't happen.
1: And what are some of the practical things that managers can do or put into place to make returning to work easier?
2: Uh, As soon as somebody goes off, I would get in touch with your HR or your people and culture, business partner or whoever your contact is, and have a conversation with them about the timeline and what needs to happen when. So that I think is key. Plan, Plan quickly, plan soon. And then if you can, do something to support that person whilst they're away from the office, whether that's offering them EAP, whether that's sending them something like a well-being gift box or something that is supportive and, and reaching out to them to say, how would you like us to contact you? We do need to be in touch. And if they say a letter or they say an email or they say a text or they say a WhatsApp, whatever they say, keeping to that. So you have an agreed form of communication, making that first um, time back into the office Either based on a plan that has been agreed through that communication, or making sure that they maybe start at a slightly different time. That the first thing that they do is have a meeting with the manager, but also with HR, so that they know that there's a third person that they can talk to if there is any difficulty in those relationships, because often there is. Um, And so you need to make sure there's an additional safe place for them to talk to someone in the business and just have a really upfront and open agreement about. What is it that you think that you need from us? What is it that you think that you can do? That communication piece, I think, is really important about
1: sticking to be a letter, be it a text message, whatever the employee asks. And and that, again, builds trust, I'm sure. Can you talk a little bit more about the importance of the employee's sense of control in this process?
2: Control for me is a key issue around mental health in the workplace. We feel most unsafe and and it has the biggest impact on our mental health when we feel a lack of control. So any control you can add in for someone returning to work uh, is going to help them. And it might sound like a silly thing, like do they still want to sit at the same desk? Do they need to start at a different time? Do they want a compressed week like is there a particular task that they would like somebody else to continue to do for them how many choices can you hand over to them it's an overlooked piece of the puzzle and often where that balance of uh, a manager trying to do the right thing can actually take a bit too much control of the person and actually that has a negative impact even though they mean well mm.
1: Your team needs to maintain output, meet targets. But perhaps it makes no difference whether a staff member is at work from 7 until 3 instead of 9 to 5. Or maybe they can work two days a week from home. When a workplace offers choice and flexibility and an employee can take control of their return to work, you have a better chance of keeping that person in your team. And in the long run, you will end up with a stronger team for it. In episode one, we spoke to Jo Farmer about her experience with mental health challenges. She talked about what was important to her when she returned to
3: work. Being really clear on what your rights are in a workplace is really important so that you know um, what you can and can't reasonably ask for. Um, And I think most people would be surprised to know that they actually have a lot of grounding to stand on and uh, ability to advocate for themselves for what they need and then based on that being really clear on what your boundaries are I mentioned before the the wellness plan that I make when I start a new job that very clearly says kind of this is what I will and won't do and it's written in such a way that it's not it's not demanding um but it's just these are the things that work for me and the things that don't work for me um and then and then I think the other really important thing is finding your allies in a workplace. Um, so they're the people that you can go to when maybe things aren't going your way or you're not doing so well um, and just having that kind of safe person, safe place at work that you can speak to. And in an ideal world, that's your manager. But, you know, I understand not every workplace is as supportive as some of the workplaces that I've been in and and in places where I haven't felt so supported having those confidants has made it much more easy to manage staying at work because um, I don't feel like I'm doing it on my own.
1: Acknowledging that someone in your team might not feel comfortable talking to you, that can be confronting. But just because you're a manager or a team leader, you can't be everything to everyone. You can still be that person, though, by supporting them to find someone they do feel comfortable talking with.
4: More often than not, I'd say when I've seen things not managed well. I've not seen them managed poorly out of malice. I've, I've seen it uh, mostly through misconceptions about what mental illness is or what the role of the employer is. My name is Tully Rosen and uh, I've been a manager, an employee and just a person who has lived with uh, mental illness. Mine is uh, depression. And I have also supervised a number of people with mental illnesses and other issues that need accommodation. And I think it's really important to remember that even if you're a psychiatrist, even if you're, you know, the very head of, of some authoritative organisation on something, you still just need to be open to a person's individual experience. I think the the nature of a lot of mental illnesses is that they are longer term and that they're episodic. There is a long road in, in developing a an understanding of how to deal with that crisis and how to get to where they want to get or how to resolve the problems that have led them to where they are. You can't expect that to uh, resolve overnight.
1: How can managers better accommodate people with mental health issues in their workplace?
4: Yeah, apart from getting to know your people and really trying to make sure that you're doing what is right for that person, not doing what you think is right for a person with a certain illness, um, is there is so much good education out there around different conditions these days. The Head to Health website is fantastic. There's I think there's a portal for mentally healthy workplaces as well. And a lot of resources put out by Superfriend. Um, there are even very specialized material for childhood survivors of abuse and, and all sorts of very particular issues that if you if you've talked to the individual. If you've learned about those issues, if you've worked out your responsibilities, you're doing better than most managers just by doing that.
1: As Tully says, you can find a variety of fantastic resources at headtohealth.gov.au and superfriend.com.au. But it's also worth looking into your existing workplace policies and procedures when it comes to returning to work.
4: I've worked for organisations in the workers' comp area as well. So I also know there are some very clear laws and expectations around um, accommodating somebody with a mental illness and creating a psychologically safe environment. And I think that's not very well understood. There's a lot more risk being carried by employers than they might realise by thinking that it's not their responsibility
1: one topic that comes up a few times in this podcast is confidentiality, and when it comes to returning to work or staying at work, managing confidentiality is essential.
2: People's personal circumstances are confidential. The level of confidentiality in what is and is not confidential needs to be part of the conversation up front, and any conversation needs to be based on what the requirements are for a business. I have had employees in my teams who have told me a ton of stuff that I have never passed on to the HR team because it wasn't necessary or appropriate. And I could consider that it was confidential, wasn't necessary for the business to know that it was necessary for the business to know that um, we had a plan, the appropriate support was in place and that those plans were written and agreed and signed off.
1: It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I, I think back to my own experience of managing staff and my immediate uh, thought was, well, I need to go and talk to you know my manager above me who you know, at the, that point we didn't have HR. Um, the, the manager of the business acted as the HR person. And I needed really to go to them with advice on how to deal with this situation. But of course, there's that really tricky spot of, well, I don't want to break confidentiality, but I'm also very ill-equipped to actually deal with this situation
2: and I don't know the protocol. And look, and I think in that situation, if anyone does feel out of their depth and they feel like that is something that they need to do, then I think that you just say that. And being really human about it, the person is likely to understand. If you say, look, this is something that I do feel out of my depth managing. and I want to make sure that I am here to support you in the appropriate way. I need to talk to somebody about this. Is it okay if I speak to my manager? And they may say, actually, I'm not comfortable with you speaking to the manager. And say, okay, would it be okay if I spoke to the head of people and culture or the head of HR about this to make sure? And they may be fine with that. Sometimes it's more about who you're talking to about them than the fact that you are doing it and then you see how i did that you give them control is it okay if i talk to this person or would you rather i spoke to this person and then they again they have some personal choice about who their information is being shared with
1: are there any organizations who you think manage that returning to work very well or perhaps there's been an organization that has introduced a return to work program uh, that 's really helped the mental health of their staff to to come back in a in a better and more a more supportive way
2: so I know somebody uh, of a business and a manager who had a staff member who had a quite a serious psychotic break, which on the surface sounds like that would be unrecoverable from, but in reality it was turned around very fast by by ongoing great mental health and peer support teams. So this person had a huge amount of support. The manager um, asked if they were allowed to speak to their support staff, like so the people in the mental health service who were working with them, that permission was given. And so then what happened was the the return to work plan was created in consultation with the mental health support. So the manager, the, the employee and their support team so who they they allocated as the contact person and i actually know that in this case the employee and their support person came into the office and met with the manager and they had a conversation about what would work what wouldn't and what sort of communication would be allowed so that that person could come back and if there were any concerns the manager knew that they could reach out and and get the right support for for their employee obviously you have to have permission for that Obviously, that does require a good relationship, um, but it is something that you can do, and it does mean that any return to work plan has got that professional um, and expert advice in it, and that it isn't just being written in isolation by the people in culture or HR team or the manager, but you actually have really good expert advice inputting into that plan. That, for me, even in the most difficult circumstances, would be best practice.
1: In our introductory episode, we talked to Shane Fitzsimmons, the previous Commissioner for the Rural Fire Service New South Wales and currently Commissioner for Resilience New South Wales. I was interested to find out his experience with managing employees returning to work.
0: I think our challenge is in returning people to the workplace is to actually be able to accommodate nuance and difference and not expect a return to work to mean going back to full throttle rostered type situations or indeed operational situations. So it might be about looking for a different way of doing things. And I have heard stories where management at different levels of organisations didn't think it was appropriate to try and accommodate someone back into the workplace because that would bugger them up in trying to work out rosses for everybody else. So they thought it was a bigger problem. So understanding how we bring people back with emotional or psychological circumstances should be treated in a similar way as those with a physical uh, limitation would be. And that is about finding the right role in the right place, in the right location at the right time to help with that adjustment and integration back into the workplace.
1: When it comes to mental health at work, what do you think is the most important thing we can move forward and improve?
0: Ultimately, leadership is all about building trust and confidence in people, whether it's the teams, your subordinates, or indeed, whether it's your customers or the community accepted behaviors unacceptable behaviors becomes really important and they're not just a checklist it's actually about holding people accountable but at the core of that is that leaders need to be real when it comes to authenticity as leaders we're not invincible to things if we're presenting this facade that somehow we're bulletproof and therefore our teams think they're not and they're somehow inferior then we've got it wrong the more you can get to understand your team your people those around you are the better chance you've got of understanding what's driving them what's motivating them indeed what's challenging them particularly what's challenging them outside of the workplace they might be having some 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 partnership relationship issues they might be you know having some some challenges with kids at school they might have a medical diagnosis in the family there can be things going on in their personal circumstances that could make them more vulnerable or more susceptible uh, to impact in the workplace
1: This brings us back full circle to the advice in episode one. As a manager, you need to manage employees returning to work on a case-by-case basis. You need to manage individually.
0: If you've already created an environment of openness and honesty, uh, building trust and confidence through being authentic, having empathy, showing care and compassion, you've got a good chance of connecting with your people and to normalise how they're thinking and feeling where things in the workplace might be challenging that.
2: I know there are a few times in my career where I look back and I think I really wish that I'd had that five-minute conversation with that person in that moment because it probably would have saved me about three weeks work later. If
4: you've learned about those issues, if you've worked out your responsibilities, you're doing better than most managers just by doing that.
3: The things that my workplace did were not revolutionary, it was really, you know, quite simple for them ultimately but made the world of difference for me
1: you've been listening to managing minds that was our last episode remember no one is expecting you to be a psychologist or a doctor it's really about having empathy listening to your team and being adaptable and you're not alone there are so many resources out there to help you better understand mental health Beyond Blue, Black Dog and Head to Health are some great starting points.
2: Managing Minds is a Headline Productions podcast made in partnership with the State Insurance Regulatory Authority. Our host is Anna McAfee. This series has been produced and edited by Simon Portis. Fact-checking is done by Dr James Donnelly. And the executive producer is me, Liz Keene.